Psalm 1. Blessed are those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers, but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in season, and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do <coughs> prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff, and the wind blows away, that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners <coughs> in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Isn't it great that uh, we've got Father and Son leading our worship this morning? I, it's a really special thing. It hasn't happened before in this way. What a wonderful thing for Paul and Jonas to be doing that together. It's a real milestone on their journey, I think, together too, and us as a church. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you that you give us uh, life in its fullness. Thank you that your desire is that we enter more fully into that life as we journey toward you. Help us, we pray, Lord, as to listen and to inwardly receive the gift of life that you have for us through your word, by your spirit today. Amen. So here we are at what is probably the most difficult, demanding form of prayer that we can look at. Mind you, for some people, contemplation will be, yes, this is what I've been waiting for. It'll be a sort of like, oh, at last, we can think about just sitting and soaking and being with God. Silence. other people. What are we thinking about now? All this time we're wasting. You know, we want to get on with things. We want to put our faith into action. What's the point of being quiet for so long? We need to be on it, out there, doing stuff, and everything in between. We all have different spiritual temperaments, and so some people will lead, lean toward this form of prayer and other people toward others. That's who we are. But God remains who he, he, who he is, and he invites us into communion with him. Why is this particular form of prayer about the why, about yielding or saying yes to God? Well, Thomas Merton gives us a clue, that great Catholic writer from the contemplative tradition, he said, the deepest prayer at its nub is a perpetual surrender to God. So we abandon ourselves, we surrender to God, and we say, Lord, your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On this part of earth, where I'm standing, indeed this bit of earth, this bit of dust that you've made and created and enlivened in me, Lord, 
may that will be done. Let your Holy Spirit's presence come and abide in me. We don't have to worry about God abiding with us, but we need to be thinking about how can we abide or remain in him. That I can offer as much of myself as I know to God, to the one who comes in his mysterious presence and comes and reveals himself more fully to us. And so the question I suppose I have to ask, and it may resonate with some people, you know, how, and I remember a little while ago thinking this, I mean, how long do I want to go on in life? Sort of <laughs> living in a way that is really difficult to, to sustain. How long do I want to go on sort of feeling dry and empty when my life can be just a series of hurry and worry and deadlines and distractions? Do I really want to live my life sort of drinking from the nearest puddle that emerges when it's rained? Or am I prepared to dig a well to the water table so that I can be sustained by a continual flow of life-giving water? Because that's God's intention for us, isn't it? it his, his intention to sustain us day by day with his life, his spirit. And when the disciples came to Jesus and said, Lord, would you teach us to pray? I think that was very much on their heart. They could see in Jesus an unhurried life, a life that was profoundly connected with the Father and out of which flowed things that were quite remarkable. His love, his compassion, his desire for justice, his miracles, all the things that were true of Jesus. So when Jesus said, let me teach you to pray, pray like this, he was including in that this whole thing of being able to connect to God in a way that was quite profound. And it is an incredible encouragement to us all that it is God's will for us to be able to drink from that living water. For God's will is sometimes construed by us, especially in the West, as a very demanding, difficult, and sort of, energy sapping thing. You know, we, we think it's very tough and costly and we've got to grit our teeth and sort of think of Bear grills and just go for it and do the difficult stuff. And sometimes, of course, God's will will involve that. But the fact is that God's will is always also for us to have life in its fullness and to have a life characterized by peace and joy, healing, hope, love, patience, wisdom, self-discipline, all those things, the wonderful things that lead to a life in its fullness. And the image for today uh, is something that is very powerfully described in the Psalm 1, and it's the tree that's planted by streams of living water. Now, Sean and I were up in the Brecon Beacons yesterday, morning, that is. <laughs> Make sure I was home by lunchtime. But we had a wonderful walk by the, the rivers up there, by the waterfalls near Talabont, and there were plenty of these trees by the water. 
And the Psalm, Psalm 1 speaks of the person who is meditating, who is contemplating, who is drawing up from God as being like a tree that's sustained by the water. It has its roots going down into the places of nourishment and refreshment. It's a very powerful image. And the trees that are by the water are in a fantastic place. The Bible calls a fantastic place blessed. Being blessed in the right place with God. Blessed is the one who doesn't walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. You know, all that stuff is no place to receive life. But the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, that is God's ways and his word, who meditates on his law day and night, it's a regular thing. It's a, just like eating breakfast and having your dinner. It's a regular part of life. They are like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in due season. They're not only strong and alive, they have a fruitful life. They make an impact. They make a difference. They are seen to be flourishing. And whatever they do prospers. So here's the tree drawing up water silently. The leaf does not wither. It yields its fruit in due season. Not perhaps all the time, but in particular seasons of fruitfulness. And the person who is like this tree is in a place of blessing. They are sustained. They're healthy. They make a difference in life. They bless others as they are being blessed. And we see from that psalm that they have made very clear choices. If we could just have the psalm uh, on the screen, please. That would be great. They have made very clear choices. They have chosen to go the way of God, the way that God's will intends for them. And they are learning how to meditate on the ways of God. And there are at least three ways of moving into that place of being able to receive the things that lead to life and sustainability, sustainable living. Firstly, they've learned to be obedient. Secondly, they've said they're learning to be still. And thirdly, they're learning to be. So those are the three things I'm just going to say a few words about as we think about how we can become sustained and live life to the full. So firstly, learning to be obedient. Saying yes to one thing and not to another. Could we have the, the next slide, please, Sharon? That's great. Learning to be obedient is something that we are involved in choosing. Choosing a way that leads to life. Now, the things that come against us in life are many. Perhaps the biggest thing is what Dallas Willard calls hurry. <laughs> and we call it hurry too. He says the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day is hurry. And John Mark Comer, in his book here, which I've just been reading a little bit of, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, draws on the teachings of Dallas Willard and Richard Foster and others. And he recognizes there are four things that we can do as God's people to overcome this tyranny of the urgent. 
He talks about silence and solitude. He talks about the significance of the Sabbath. Thirdly, the importance of simplicity in the way we live. And fourthly, the discipline of slowing. It's really describing the unhurried way of Jesus, who taught us that you cannot love in a hurry. And this book is full of practical ways of becoming more attentive to the Holy Spirit, practical ways that we can come against and defeat the tyranny of the urgent. And he says, in a very colorful way, he talks about the tyranny of our phones. Oh dear, how are you doing with your phones? Um, I don't know if anybody's phone is on. Uh, at Quakers Road we have an incident just at this point. Somebody's phone went off. It was a classic, absolute classic. But it's something that can so easily dominate our lives, isn't it? If you're one who uses a mobile phone, and a great many people do. It's fueled by FOMO, as they say, a fear of missing out, FOMO. And I think that is something we need to really consider. I'm not going to say any more about it now, but just how much we look to our phones. There was a report, wasn't there, this week about the extent to which children have them by their beds, listen to them, feel anxious if it's, char it's not charged up. There's a dependency there which I think we would love to have as Christians on God. That's enough for me. You can read the book or look at anything online that talks about the learning to be choosing those disciplines of silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing. Secondly, the discipline of learning to be still. The psalmist talks about, I have learned and stilled my soul like a baby at the mother's breast. Learning to be still is something that we can do and it is something that happens as a result of certain practices that we need to do. It isn't just like sort of sitting there. There are some techniques, and I'm not going to go into them now, but I'd like you to watch if we can get this up, Sharon, on the screen. Uh, something that I used to do and still do occasionally, but have a great deal of trouble doing when I started out. Centering clay on the wheel. On this way. Hello. So I haven't done a video in quite a little while, and I've had a few requests as to how to center clay. And the first thing you want to do when you cut a block of clay off is just round it out and form it into a bowl. And this just kind of helps the starting process when you put it on the wheel. The other thing is, too, you want to make sure that your bat's clean. So the ball won't go sliding off the bat. I'm not gonna know how deep I You can also pad the ball into place when it's on the bat just a little. Now two things that might help when you're throwing is resting your arms on your legs and using your legs as kind of leverage to keep your arms in place or putting your elbows inside your legs. Another way is, is to put your forearms on the splash guard here and kind of rest them on the splash guard. Now when you're centering, you wanna also make sure that you use quite a bit of water. So then that way the clay's not sticking to your hands too much. When I center, 
I put my hands together like this and you don't have to press them together you can have them about an inch apart but I put my hands together and the inside of my palms right here is the area that's gonna push the clay and I'm gonna literally push the clay straight forward away from me and that'll put it into place Now, it's centered on the sides, but on the top, it's still a little rough. So there's two different ways of roughing off or smoothing off the top. You can put your hand on the top and put one hand on the side. Push down on the top and then guide the clay on the side. Or you can put two hands on top and push down on the clay. The majority of the pressure that I'm putting on the clay is coming from the palms of my hands and not really my fingers. My fingers are a guide. So just as a reminder, when you center, put your hands together like this, the palms of your hands should be what's forcing the clay in place. Your fingers on the outside are just a guide for the clay. Now you can also knead the clay while you're on the okay, wheel and this put, gets rid of air bubbles. That's some very Instead good teaching on that. Thank you, Sharon. Instead of kneading on a table, you can so, knead it centering. You see how, you know, just in, there are techniques, there are things that need to be done in order for that clay to be at the right within center of the wheel. If she hadn't have spent time doing that, the clay, as you know, you might have seen these really funny clips on YouTube, and the clay just goes round and round and round and spins woof, off, right, off, the, or off the bat, as they call it. And that's, there's no way that you can hope to make a pot without centering the clay. Similarly, we can't experience and contemplate the true nature of God unless we are centered in ourselves and if you want to learn how to become centered then please do have a look at a relevant book there are millions of them or go online and find the steps to centering it's about the things that she did with body positions body position is important things you do with using water things that she did with the position of her hands there are all equivalents of that that are suggested in the discipline of centering we can learn how to become still. And when we are still, we can allow the roots that are within us to go deep into the things that will feed us, into God's word, into the world using our senses that are around us, into a wonder that we can experience through the experiences that we have, such as music or reading or drama, film so much that can fill us with the life of God so learning to be still and then finally just learning to be being present to God as he is present to us as mother Teresa of, of as Teresa of Avila put it loving attentiveness to God and the final thing I'd like us to just think about is the slide of the icon rep replica that's in our Trinity Chapel, Rublev's icon of the Trinity.
in a minute. In that icon, there is a sense in which we are being invited to be drawn into the circle of love. Oh, it's, not, it's coming up in a few minutes. In the, the Trinity Chapel, you'll see that there is a simple A4 description of how that picture, that icon works. The words from that, uh, that prayer is this. You are invited to come before this beautiful ancient painting and experience the hospitality of the Trinity. To simply enjoy the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Let's open our hearts to the Lord as we meditate on Rublev's icon. This is the icon. And you can see the representatives of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this wonderful circle of love. And in front, there is this gap, there's this space around the table. And as you sit there and look at that space, there is the invitation that is being made by the Lord, come and sit here with me. And the prayer that is suggested you could pray is, yes, Lord, I want to sit at the table with you. I love to enjoy your company. I'm eager to hear what you want to say to me. And who knows what might come in that time. Maybe like Belinda was saying, that God will prompt us to pray, help us to hear things we wouldn't otherwise be aware of. So God's loving spirit moves us from meditation to contemplation into communion with the divine. Sometimes time seems to stop and we're caught up in the presence of God. It can be a profoundly, profoundly moving experience. And it can be something that truly is experienced, not just a thing that is thought about. St. John of the Cross talked about being painfully wounded by the living flame of love. John Wesley experienced his heart strangely warmed. There are other experiences that we might have had over the years. For me, uh, standing at New Wine, the New Wine uh, conference, and after a time of worship, I found my whole being being drenched in the oil, a warm oil of God's love. And I was just stood there for about 40 minutes, I think it was, I couldn't move, I couldn't speak. I certainly couldn't do anything else than just go, ah, oh. it's the most extraordinary experience. I've never had anything like that before. Sometimes we're in a place to receive the anointing that God has for us. So let us learn to be obedient to God to be a, a person who is learning to be still and ultimately just learning to be, learning to soak in the life-giving water that is God's love. So you will not be surprised to see that the item that I have brought to the shelves is a root from Wales, a very good Welsh tree. And there it will go as a reminder of our 
calling, our invitation to be like that tree with its roots down in the stream. Amen.